So as we've been walking through this gospel, the gospel of Luke, we've been exploring a theme that was evident in the purpose of Jesus's ministry. And I told you that as we look through Luke, we're going to look for little passages and places in scripture where it describes why Jesus even came and what was Jesus doing. And, and the theme that we're looking at is that Jesus came to seek and to save. He came to seek and he came to save. He came looking for those who were lost, those who were in need, and he came to bring salvation to them. And as we've gone through this, we've realized, oh, it's not just the really, really broken people. It's all people because all people are broken people. And so what we discover as we go through this is that Jesus came to save the world, to save all of us. And to come bring that salvation and the good news of the gospel message. And over and over again, we see, if you've been reading through this, you see uh, Jesus' heart to reach those who were lost and sick and depressed and oppressed, even dead, as you saw this week. Uh, Jesus was coming to, to raise even the dead and to minister and to love. And he often ministered in unexpected ways. The, the, the Jews, the Jewish people who had been God's people for, for centuries had been looking and waiting for a Messiah to come. They expected Jesus. They didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah and even to this day don't. But they were looking for someone to come and save because God had made promises to the people of Israel to say, I'm going to send you someone who will come and save. I will bring a savior. And so they were looking for that. But when Jesus showed up, He was doing things that were unexpected. He was doing things in different ways than they expected. He he wasn't the the person that you just knew, oh, he's going to do this and he's going to do that. I expect all of this. No, Jesus did a lot of things in different ways. And last week, we focused on his ministry to a sinful woman and a curious Pharisee. And we looked at that and how those two people were coming towards Jesus in completely completely different paths, but, but still Jesus could minister to them both. And as you go through Luke, you see that he captures many of the teachings that surrounded uh, the actions as well. In chapter 8, as we look at an overview of of chapters 8 to 10, in chapter 8, that's what we find. You find some of the teachings of Jesus. And many of these teachings were unexpected teachings. Uh, At the beginning of chapter 8, we see some of the parables of Jesus. And, and if you're familiar with um, the other Gospels in the, in the Bible, or if you were around with us when we went through the Gospel of Matthew several years ago, you recognize some of those little teachings. The Beatitudes, we see some of that in Luke, as well as in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, some of these other uh, illustrations that Jesus gave. And, and, and these parables. Parables are, are illustrations of deep spiritual things, but delivered in a simple story. And he used common, well-known context to teach a spiritual truth. For instance, one of the other things that we see in chapter 8 is Jesus talks about a farmer. And for these people that heard him, that were in an agricultural farming society, talking about a farmer is like talking about, uh, you know, one of your neighbors. Uh, it would be somebody that you, you might be a farmer yourself or came from a farming community. You know about farming. And so for Jesus to start talking about somebody going out with a bag of seed and farming, and, and, and putting, planting seed out in the dirt, you would have been like, okay, I understand that. I see that. But what you didn't realize is that Jesus is using that as a, as a method of delivery to say, but this is a deep spiritual thing happening here. Because in the same way that a farmer goes and sows seed, 
In the same way, that's how the good news comes to different people in that God is sowing seed into the hearts of people. But just like soil is different, there's rocky soil, there's good soil, there's just bad soil, hard soil. Humans are the same way. And they hear the gospel come out. And for some hearts, immediately, they just soak it right up and they take the good news. For other people, it's come a little bit slower and a little bit longer. And there's, a, there's some other issues that have to be dealt with. For others, they hear the gospel, they don't want anything to do with it. And they never will. And Jesus uses that sort of teaching method to help people understand some of these deep spiritual truths that they would not have been able to get otherwise. Now, by this point, by Luke chapter 8, by this point in Jesus' ministry, he'd already called the 12 disciples to follow him. And even if you're not real familiar with church, you might have heard that Jesus had 12 disciples, the 12 apostles, um, same name or different name for the same people, right? He had called these 12 apostles to go with him as he was ministering through all these little towns and villages and cities throughout the region. And as they followed Jesus, he was discipling them, all right? That's a church word, a Bible word, discipling. And discipling is simply teaching. Disciples are learners. Um, They're like apprentices. They're those that are, are learning from someone else and being taught from someone else. And these 12 that Jesus specifically called as his disciples were learning the ways and the patterns and the methods of Jesus. And a disciple learns from their master so that they too can live and lead in a similar way. All right? It's not just um, like it's a teacher teaching you about something that you don't care anything about. And for many of you who are students today, you go to certain classes during your school week and you're like, I don't know why I have to learn this. I don't know why I have to have this class. This class, I'm never going to need this class, you know. Uh, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to learn this? All right? That's not the relationship between a disciple and, and their master. A disciple is saying, ooh, I want to learn that. And I want to learn that from that person. They're the expert and I want to grow in this way. And so therefore, I'm coming to that, that teacher because I want to learn what he does and how he does it. All right? And that's what these disciples were doing. They were learning all these things from Jesus. And, and you have to understand, picture this. These 12 men were selected by Jesus to have really unrestricted access to Jesus. They didn't just sign up for the Jesus School of Ministry and on Mondays and Thursdays they'd show up for class. No, these men traveled with Jesus. Everywhere he went is where they went. They sit down for a meal together, they're all together. After he's done ministry and they go to different spots, they have the opportunity to ask Jesus the hard questions. Jesus, why did you deal with that person this way? Why did you say that? Jesus, what did you mean by that? We just talked about parables, right? One of the difficulties with parables is that many times Jesus would throw out a parable to a crowd of people and just walk away. And they'd be like, what did that actually mean, that story? A farmer sowing seed, I thought this guy's a spiritual person. What is this? Right? And so the disciples, and we see this many times, and we see this in this section in in chapter 8, the disciples would come up and say, what exactly did you mean by that whole parable? We're getting the idea that you teach in these parables, you tell these stories, but we don't even know what that was supposed to mean. I don't know how you expect them to know it, right? And so Jesus would sit with these disciples and say, okay, let let me break it down for you. 
this is what that meant, and this is what that meant. That's the way I can tell you today what he was referring to was the gospel being sown in people's hearts. Why? Because Jesus told the disciples that very thing. He said, what I mean by this is, is that. All right, and so they had those opportunities that no one else really would. And in regular, everyday life, but also in some extraordinary things. That's one of the most unique things about the disciples. These 12, they got to see up close some of those most radical things that Jesus ever did. The disciples were with Jesus when they were on a boat in the Sea of Galilee and a huge storm came up and, and, and Jesus was asleep in the boat and the disciples realized, and these guys, some of them were fishermen, so they're very comfortable on the water, but they realized this is a bad storm. We're in the middle of this sea and this doesn't look good and this boat is not very seaworthy and we may drown. <laughs> So let's wake up Jesus and let him know, hey, Jesus, I know you're asleep and all, but we're all about to meet our maker, even though we're sitting on the boat with our maker, you know? And so as in that hap- when that all happens, Jesus wakes up and he says to the wind and the waves, hey, be still. And these disciples in the middle of the storm watch nature obey Jesus. I mean, radical stuff. Everything goes calm. Everything goes smooth. Not only that, these disciples were, were seeing some, uh, some of the other things that Jesus did. Um, also, we saw in this section of scripture, one of the most radical stories of, of uh, the disciples landing on the other side of the Sea of Galilee and, and coming to this, this area that was actually a graveyard zone. And this crazy man comes running out mostly naked, if not completely naked, the Bible tells us. And he was a demon-possessed man that was terrifying this entire region. And as this man comes running toward them, the disciples are like, okay, what do we got here? How are we going to deal with this? But what we actually find out is Jesus ends up talking to the man and casting out not one, not two, but many demons out of this man and cast these demons into a herd of pigs. Crazy story. And the pigs actually are now demon-possessed, run down the hill and drown themselves in the sea. I mean, can you imagine these things that some of these disciples saw? They're like, what is this? They could experience some, some extraordinary things. Now, what we also see is of those 12, Jesus had three disciples, Peter, James, and John, who were even brought into an opportunity to see some things that even the rest of the the other eight didn't see. These three uh, accompanied Jesus into a house and watched as he raised a little girl to life that had been dead, saw a resurrection happen before their eyes. These three, Peter, James, and John, in chapter 9, had the opportunity to go with Jesus up for a time of prayer, thinking, oh yeah, we're heading up to the mountain just to pray. It's just going to be the four of us. We're going to pray. Everything's going to be fine. And they get up, the Mount of Transfiguration, if you read that this week. They go up on the mountain to pray with Jesus, and all of a sudden, Jesus is transformed in front of them, glowing. His clothes are glowing. His skin is glowing. And they're like, what is happening here? And to make things crazier, all of a sudden, two other people appear out of nowhere. And as they wait a little while longer, they find out this is Moses and Elijah, a couple of men that have not been on the planet for hundreds of years. (laughs) Uh, People that they had read about in the Bible and heard the stories of. I mean, mind-blowing things. And not only that, then they hear the voice of God the Father. 
All right? And in chapter 10, Jesus starts helping his disciples process what they'd been privileged to see and to hear and experience. And, and, and in Luke chapter 10, verse 23, I'll just read this to you. It'll be on the screen for you. It's, he says, then turning to the disciples, he said privately. So he's got just his 12 with him. And he says, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. All of these experiences that these 12 were experiencing, that were coming alongside of Jesus and watching these radical things, all of these experiences were leading somewhere for his disciples. It wasn't just, you know, the fireworks show. I just want to show you guys what I can do. It'll be really cool. (laughs) Which it would have been. But it wasn't just that. Jesus had a purpose and Jesus had a plan. And so all of these experiences were leading somewhere for these disciples. He was revealing himself to them as the Christ, as the Messiah, the one that the Jews had been waiting for. And he was preparing them to carry on with his message and ministry after he was gone. Now, they didn't know all of that yet. They hadn't comprehended that this Messiah was actually going to die and go away. They hadn't understood all of the implications, but that's what Jesus was preparing them for. And that's what we're going to focus on today as we see the ministry multiplied. In both chapters 9 and 10, Jesus sends his disciples out to minister in the surrounding communities. And we're going to focus on the first of those missions. So if you've got your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, we're going to start there in verse 1 and read some of what happens as Jesus sends out his apostles. All right, and so Luke 9, verse 1, it says this. And he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. Not even a change of clothes. He said, in whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel, and listen to this, and healing everywhere. Now, they may not have known it, but this was Jesus' plan all along. His plan was to disciple them to teach them, to train them, but ultimately to send them out. And this is the first experience that they had on their own, going out on their own to begin ministering and doing the things that they'd been watching Jesus do. And from the very beginning, he wanted to equip them and send them out. In the Gospel of Mark, a different one of the Gospels, it tells us that explicitly. It says there in Mark 3, 14 and 15, it says, and he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. So this is the the thing to understand here. God's plan, God's plan was to bring the kingdom of heaven to people through people. Okay, I want to say that again for you. God's plan was to bring the kingdom of heaven to people through people. 
it wasn't going to be a solo show of Jesus staying until the end of time. No, Jesus was the prototype. He was the example. He was the perfect one that would do these ministries. But he was the one to come and show us how the ministry was to be done. All right, and that's a big mind shift for, for, for us and for these disciples. And here's the truth. When you read a passage like that and you say, okay, well, that's great for the apostles of Jesus, the saints. Well, of course, they're doing miracles and they're, you know, working wonders and preaching the gospel. That's for those kinds of people that walked with Jesus. That gets a little intimidating if we start thinking, wait, does that mean us too? Because we're called to be disciples of Jesus. We're called to be followers of Jesus. Are we called to minister like Jesus ministered? If you're, if you're new to the Bible and Christianity, some of this is shocking. <laughs> Even when you read some of these miraculous things, you're like, what? This is what Christians actually believe? Well, the answer is yes. <laughs> Christians actually believe this. You have to understand that the Christian faith is built on the supernatural foundation of Jesus Christ doing supernatural things. These aren't just nice stories to make us pretend that Jesus was some superhero. He did supernatural things. In fact, in this season of time, we're preparing to celebrate the most important uh, date in the Christian faith. And I'm not talking about Christmas. Christmas is wonderful. But the most important Christian date for a Christian, Easter. And why is it the most important date? It's because that is the day that we celebrate when Jesus resurrected from the dead. Jesus was dead. Not unconscious, not asleep, not knocked out. He was dead. And he was raised to life. And with that one stupendous miracle... All of the rest of our faith hangs on that one thing. Because here's the thing. If Jesus, the Bible actually says it itself. If Jesus did not resurrect from the dead, it doesn't matter that he was a good teacher, that he had some cool ideas, that he really came and, you know, was a revolutionary and shook things up. All that might be nice. He might be a historical figure. But if he didn't raise from the dead, what the Bible tells us is, then we're all still in our sins and our faith is futile. But what Christianity hinges on is this action, this this supernatural occurrence of Jesus being raised from the dead. And if you can accept that miracle, that one miracle, well, then none of the other events in the Bible are all that unbelievable. (laughs) You don't struggle with that. If you believe one person can be raised from the dead, well, then okay. So a guy with a withered hand can now work a hand again. A guy who has leprosy is cleansed from leprosy. Even a little girl who's dead could be raised from the dead. If Jesus can be raised from the dead, then that's a whole different thing going on, right? So if you can understand that, you can understand some of these other things. But still... It's difficult for many of us to get our minds around the supernatural and the miraculous biblical accounts. And many of these things we simply take by faith. And whether or not we will experience all of the supernatural and the miraculous in our lifetimes, that's up to God. But notice what it said there. Look back in verse 6 where it says, it says, They departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. They preached and healed everywhere. And here's the point that I want you to get. These were ordinary people. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Ordinary people, but doing extraordinary things. And that was astonishing 
It was astonishing then, and it's astonishing now. You know, as you, you go on in the Bible and you get into the book of Acts, so after Jesus dies, he's resurrected, he's ascended into heaven, he sends the Holy Spirit. If you know all that story in the day of Pentecost, the church is born, and these disciples, two of these disciples, Peter and John, one day, they're going to the temple to pray, and in, in Acts chapter 3, they come to the temple, and there's a man, a crippled man there, cannot walk. And the Bible tells us he couldn't walk since birth. He was never able to walk. And he's sitting there at the door of the temple. And he's just begging. He's just, that's his only way of livelihood is actually based on the generosity of other people. So he's got a hand out there getting, picking up money from people coming in to pray. And Peter and John walk up to this man. And Peter looks at him and, and being guided by the Holy Spirit says, I don't have any money to give you right now. But what I have, I'm going to give you. And he reaches down and grabs the man by the hand and lifts him up. And immediately, it says miraculously, he lifts the man up and his ankles and his feet and his legs are healed. And for the first time in this man's life ever, he's miraculously healed. And what does a miraculously healed man that's never been able to walk before do? Well, the Bible says he starts walking and he starts leaping and then he's praising God. And so he comes on into the temple and everybody's like, what's going on? And they're like, wait a minute, that's Joe. He's the guy who sits out front. Wait a minute. He's been sitting out front for all these years. We thought we couldn't walk. What's going on here? And as you get a little closer and you understand the story, he's like, I just got healed. It's miraculous. This is amazing. Praise God. And, it go, and, and a crowd gathers and Peter begins to preach and, and he's, he's explaining, this isn't my power. Don't look at us like we're something special. This is the power of God healing. And, and God has come and they begin sharing the gospel and the good news. And it's just this radical thing that happens. And so the religious leaders, they find out about this and they're like, What? Healing is happening out front. What is going on? Like, bring these guys in. We got to interview them and figure out what happens. What's, what's, what's happened? And they come in and, and Peter and John begin to explain to them about Jesus. All right, and it says in Acts 4.13, this is what the Pharisees, when they were processing it, this is how they saw it. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. They're like, wait a minute. This guy's just given us like this theological explanation of all that's going on and they didn't go to school with us. There's only one seminary in town and it's ours and we don't know them and these guys, they don't even have an education. They're fishermen. I mean, what, what's going on here? And they're normal people, but they just healed somebody. They're astonished. But then look what it also says there in Acts 4.13. At the end it says, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That was the key. These were ordinary people, but they were empowered by the Almighty God. That's the only explanation for these sorts of events taking place. And that had to be, as these disciples, as we just looked at this, as these disciples go now into these villages and towns, and they begin preaching with authority, and they begin healing the sick and casting out demons. Can you imagine? You would have been like, wait a minute, I thought that was just for Jesus. How is it that he's given us this ability to do these things? It came back to the fact that they had been with Jesus. Jesus was the one who sent them out. Jesus was the one who had empowered them and called them to do this thing. It was, of course, stunning when they saw Jesus do it, but it had to just be mind-blowing when they began doing the very same things. Now, let's go on in Luke chapter 9, and, and we pick up there in, in verse 10. So, so look what happens next. So on their return, this is after the, the apostles have gone out and they begin preaching everywhere and healing, on their return, the apostles told him, told Jesus, all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. So, so here's what, what's happened here. 
the disciples, they go out, they start ministering. This is taking place. Their minds are blown. They come back to Jesus and say, Jesus, we got to tell you what just happened. Now, Jesus wouldn't have been surprised. He's like, yeah, guys, that's what I sent you out to do. (laughs) But they're like, this is amazing. This is incredible. We're exhausted. We've been out. And Jesus is like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to this little town called Bethsaida, which is a little fishing village on the, the shore of the Sea of Galilee, way off the beaten path, tiny little town. He's like, we'll get away for the weekend. We'll talk about it. We'll process it together. I'll hear all your stories. It'll be great. All right. And, and they, they head out that way. But verse 11, it says, when the crowds learned it, that Jesus had gone over here to Bethsaida, they followed him and he welcomed them. And spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Jesus continued to minister. He kept doing what he'd always been doing. He keeps preaching the good news. He keeps healing those who need healing. Okay. And then in verse 12, it says, now the day began to wear away. So they've been out here all day ministering. And the 12 came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions. For we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we're to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. The other gospel tells us that was just the men, not to mention the women and children. 5,000 plus people. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had all sit down, had, had them all sit down. And verse 16, it says, And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. Now, this is the section I really want us to focus on today there's a good chance that most of you in here have probably heard this story, the feeding of the 5,000. It's one of the incredible miracles of the Bible. And you might be familiar with that and what happened with that. Now, Jesus came to seek and to save, as we've been talking about. He came to seek and save, but he didn't plan on doing it all himself. And just like I told you, he'd been discipling these these men because he was planning to turn ministry over to them. And he had just done that. He just sent them out on their own. And as he sent the 12 out, he was adding to the ministry. He was adding, okay? Instead of one preacher, teacher, healer, as himself, as Jesus, now he sent out 12 more. So now there's 13 13 that are empowered to go out and do ministry. He added 12, right? And that was exciting for the apostles. That's what they came so, back so excited from. But what they didn't realize was that that wasn't where Jesus was planning to stop. Jesus had more in store. Jesus wasn't just going to add to his ministry. He was going to multiply it. He was going to multiply it. Now, I know that for many of us, it's been a long time since we've been in math class, but do you remember the difference between addition and multiplication, right? 10 plus 10, 20, but 10 times 10, 100. <laughs> multiplication is more, guys, <laughs> okay, right? Now, the thing is, Jesus was using this as a, the next lesson for the disciples. The disciples were like, we just want to kick back for a little while, take a break, 
Let us sort through this all. Let us talk about this. Let's, let's, let's handle that. But Jesus is already ready to say, no, 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 guys. It's, it's time for math class. And we're talking about multiplication here today, not just adding. They wanted to rest and reflect, but the crowds came anyway. And even the extraordinary, the things that they had just been doing, all those, those experience they had ha- experiences they had had in those little villages, that even became kind of ordinary once the weariness set in. It was a long day of ministry. They'd been out for a long time in ministry. And at this point, they're like, Jesus, I, I, we're glad that you're preaching. We're glad that you're teaching. We're glad people are getting healed. We're glad that that's all happening. But it's time to send these guys away because look, we're out here in the middle of nowhere. We've got 5,000 plus people in a village of 100. Where are they gonna get food? How are they gonna have a place to sleep tonight? It's time to send them home. It's getting dark. Let them walk home. Let them go where they need to go. But Jesus didn't call the the disciples to retreat. Instead, he called them to stretch further. Look again in verse 13. What does he say? He says, you give them something to eat. Come on, guys, go for it. Feed these 5,000 plus people. You can do it. Now, the natural inclination for the apostles was to go back to their natural capacities. So they're trying to follow what Jesus said. They're like, okay, all right, so what are you telling us, Jesus? What's the best solution that we can think of? Well, we can, we can add to these five loaves and two fish by buying food, but that still won't do it. And how, where are we going to find enough food and haul enough food out here to try to feed 5,000 people? It's like, Jesus, all we've got is this five loaves of bread and two fish. We can't, we can't do anything here. They're, they're turning on their natural resources. They're saying, what, how can I fix this? How can I come up with a solution? But what does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't turn to his natural solutions. Jesus turns to his heavenly resources. In verse 16, it tells us, he, Jesus, looked up to heaven. He looked to heaven and he blessed what they did, what they had. The food wasn't added to the food was multiplied. The natural resources that the apostles had could maybe feed, I don't know, three or four people. But once God multiplied it, it, thousands were reached. And when we think about the task that we've been given as Christians, when you read this and you say, okay, if, if I'm called to be a disciple and, and Jesus calls me to disciple others and to minister to others, that's a little out of my reach. You know, you might be out there saying, well, God didn't give me like the sort of brain that really comes up with these elaborate arguments. So I can't really argue with people about Jesus. Or uh, you don't understand, like I've, I'm in a spot right now where I have to work really hard just to make ends meet. And I've really got to focus on work and be kind of in that zone. And I don't really have time. Or you might be like, I'm just kind of an introverted person. I don't really like to talk to my neighbors. In fact, I like to pull into my garage and close the door and sneak into my house and do my thing and go back out. And so... Maybe, maybe there's those things happening with you. It, it can. It can seem overwhelming. But before Jesus ascended into heaven, he tasked his followers with the great commission. I'll read it to you today. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. It says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. And what does he say to his followers? He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Every Christian, every Christian is a part of the ministry multiplication that Jesus started. 
That's what we're all called to do. He's not saying all of you need to become pastors. No, no, no. He wants you to minister right where you're at. Whatever role you have, however you, whether you have a a job at home, out of the house, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a carpenter, whatever, he's calling you to minister. And we may not all be called to become apostles and work miracles, but we are called to take the good news of Jesus to the world around us. Now, here's what we got to do when when we're confronted with a, a passage like this and a message like this. You've got to check your heart. Because as, even though I've told you that, and if you've been in church very much, you've probably heard that before. Oh yeah, I know, I'm supposed to share the gospel. We're supposed to be evangelistic. We're supposed to tell good pe- people about the good news. All right, but do you believe it? Do you believe that God's called you to be that, as, as James mentioned this morning, the salt and the light of the earth? And even if you do, it still can seem a little daunting. Even if you believe it, if you're like, yeah, I know Jesus sent me out, but man, this seems hard. This seems like it's beyond me. This is almost like Jesus handed me a couple loaves of bread and a a fish and say, hey, go feed 5,000 people with this. And it feels kind of like, ugh, I don't know how. I don't know what I can do because I don't seem to be empowered the same way that the 12 were empowered. Well, first off, we have to be reminded, and I, I think it is my job to remind you of this today, that all of the power and the authority has to come from Jesus. When we think about what God's calling us to do in, in sharing the good news of the gospel with other people, we have to be reminded that the authority and the power wasn't put in the disciples ahead of time. He didn't go and do this whole uh, you know, recruiting process to find the best and the brightest of the land and said, okay, these 12, they're the top 12. They'll be able to you know, reach out. No, no, none of that. All of the power and all of the authority has to come from Jesus. And if it's not from him, it's not authentic. It's not real. And to be perfectly honest, there's a lot of things done in the name of Jesus that have Jesus' name plastered on it that aren't done in the power and authority of Jesus. There's a lot of things, unfortunately, and there's churches that function this way. There are ministries that function this way. There are people out on their own doing things that function this way that claim, oh, this is all in the, in the name of Jesus. It might be in the name of Jesus, but it's not in the power or authority of Jesus. In fact, the Bible talks about that too. It says there's gonna be some people at the end of all things that are gonna come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this in your name? Didn't I cast out demons? Didn't I work miracles? That's the part that blows my mind, but we don't have time for that today. And he's gonna say, he's not going to argue with them. He's not going to say, no, you didn't do anything in my name. No, what does he say? He says, look, I didn't know you. You may have done all these things in my name. You may have built these big edifices and these incredible world-reaching, world-impacting ministries. You may have raised millions and billions of dollars, but I didn't know you. That's not where it's coming from. You can try to leverage your own charisma or charm or intelligence or money and influence, but if it isn't coming from Jesus... It might look impressive to other people, but ultimately it's meaningless. Now, uh, this is a question here um, that I I do want to not ignore here today because when people um, ask these questions to me, and they probably asked them to you too, they'll ask the question, hey, why don't we see these kind of supernatural things on a regular basis in the church today? I'll tell you the truth, I don't have a great answer. A lot of times I ask the same thing. 
When one of you are sick and need prayer and you come forward and we pray for you and we lay hands on you and pray for you, we're praying in faith. We're asking God to heal. And sometimes God heals and sometimes God doesn't. And I don't know why. I don't know why it it, it doesn't work that way all the time. I do know that God often supernaturally provides for us through natural means. But I also wonder if we've learned to lean on our own abilities too much just like the apostles did. If only left to the apostles' own ingenuity, nobody would have gotten fed that night there with Jesus. If they were focused on, well, how can we fix this? All right, Peter, you go grab a cart. John, you go down to that that store in that village. Philip, Andrew, you guys head over here. Thaddeus, you try to get up some food here. We'll try to bring this all together. It wouldn't have happened. They were trying in their natural means. But I wonder if it's because we lean on our own abilities just like they did and, it's, and we, we have not because we ask not. Maybe, maybe we've just gotten too far from the source. If all the supernatural power is all in Jesus, then again, maybe we need to get closer to him. So if we want to step into the ministry that I believe that God has for every one of us, that's the very first thing that we need to do. I'm going to tell you three things here as we finish up here today. Three things that we need to do to be part of the multiplication of the ministry. Number one, You've got to spend time with Jesus. That's how it worked for the disciples. That's what the way things were set up. Remember that verse that I mentioned to you from Mark 3, 14? It said he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. Yes, we'll get to the healings and the miracles and the preaching the gospel. But number one was to spend time with him. I'm not asking you today to go, when you get out of church here, everybody... Get back into your neighborhoods and go door to door and knock on every single door and invite the, you know, your friends to church. What I am exhorting you is, I'm exhorting you to spend time with Jesus because that's what we're called to do. What's that look like? What is, it, what is it to spend time with Jesus? How does that work? Well, read God's word. This is why we're doing what we're doing, encouraging you to find a Bible and, and read it. It's God's word to us. That's a way that we spend time with him. Meditate on what you find out in the word and what you hear in a message. Spend time in prayer. Talk to God. Here's one of the ways that we spend time with Jesus is we set aside time in our lives to be silent and listen to God. I actually think that might be the hardest thing to do in our day and age, to actually be quiet and still and to listen for God. Worship God with singing. That's one of the ways that we we spend time with Jesus and draw close to him. Uh, Singing praise. Maybe it's in your car. Maybe it's in the shower. I don't know. Sing, praise, wherever. Spend time with him. So that's the first thing that we need to do. Uh, If we want to do what God's calling us to is first spend time with Jesus. Secondly, obey what he tells you to do next. Notice here in this story, Jesus gave the disciples very simple tasks. He basically said three things. Have them sit in groups of 50, pass out the food, and pick up what's left. Hey, I could even do that. Might have some problems counting to 50, but other than that, like we can pick up and pass out the food. We can do what he's calling us to do. It's all possible. So whether, whether you've been a Christian for five days or 50 years, there's always a next step for you in following Jesus. You just got to find out what that is and do it. And it might not always be easy, but we're called to follow. Luke nine twenty three says, if anyone would come after me, this is, this is Jesus from our section that we've just read. Let him deny himself, 
Take up his cross daily and follow me. Honestly, guys, I think disobedience is the great killer of our spiritual power as Christians. I know I've seen that in my life. It's disobedience. That is one of the the issues that we have. God calls us to purity and to holiness and obedience. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. What for? To give strong support, powerful support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. There's times in my life where I'm like, my heart's not blameless before God. And I've got to pause and repent and get things squared away and get back right on the right path with with God. And then third, and the final thing that we look at here today. So first, spend time with Jesus. Secondly, obey what he tells you to do next. And third, share what he's done. Just share what, what he has done. I didn't say figure out a way to, you know, become the next Billy Graham and have these giant crusades and impact the world. No, just share what what the Lord has done. And that will build our church and build the faith of each other. Talk about the things that you see God doing in your life. This is important for us. This is how we grow in our faith, seeing God at work. That's one of the main purposes of our life groups. Our life groups are set up to be a group of you who are, are, we come together here on a Sunday, we hear a message like this, we process it through our week, then we gather together in smaller groups to talk about what it is is God speaking to you. What have you seen throughout your week? How is this impacting your life and changing your life? What is God doing? That's how we process it. God works in community. He's not interested, as I said, in creating superheroes. He's created a church. And, and as I think about this, I'm encouraged. When I look at our church, and I, I, I think about the ordinary people that we are. God still brought us together. That's extraordinary. And as we, as a group of ordinary people that are seeking the Lord and obeying what he's calling us to, I'm excited to see what God can do through even a small church like ours as we follow him and are, are healthy and growing in Christ. What is he going to do with this group of people in this area, in this day and age? And the reason is because when God gives power and authority, there's nothing in heaven or earth that can stand in its way. So I hope that that encourages you here today. And um, I encourage you to, as you, you go through the week, process this some. And, and uh, next week we'll get back together and read the next section, chapters 11 through 14 together. So hopefully you can get to that. Let's pray, Let's pray together this, this morning. God, I thank you, Lord, for your word. And I thank you, God, for these powerful examples that we have recorded for us to study. And God, I just pray that today you would remind us that you know who it is that you've called. You have called us in our weakness, in our brokenness. The Bible tells us that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. You chose the ordinary things of this world. And we are those people, Lord. We are those people that that need your empowerment and your equipping to do what you've called us to do. And God, we want to be those people. I, I know, I believe that here in this room, there are several people with me that want to be your follower, that want to be discipled and disciplers. We want to be those that share the good news of the gospel and see the radical move of your spirit in this world. 
And so, Lord, today I pray that you would equip us, that you would prepare us, and that you would empower us to engage with the world, to, to be healthy, solid parts of this church body, this community. And Lord, that we would do that by obeying you and by spending time with you, by knowing your voice, by understanding you, by, by allowing our hearts to be transformed, to be made more like you. And so God, even when we look at these stories and feel like, wow, it's so far out of reach, God, nothing's out of reach for you. And so Lord, I pray today that you would build our faith, build our faith in, in who you are and, and what you can do through us. Ordinary people being empowered in extraordinary ways. And so today, Lord, I pray that you would do that very thing. I pray for opportunities for our church, opportunities to spend time with you and to know you more and opportunities to share what it is that you have done and are doing. And God, we, we wanna be the people that at the end of our lives come before you and when you say to us, well done, good and faithful servant, Lord, that's the, the words we wanna hear. And so we just pray, God, that you would do a work, do a, a real thing in our hearts and our lives. I thank you for every soul who's here today. Lord, I pray that no one here would walk out of this building without being in a right relationship with you. Lord, we pray that you would cleanse us from our unrighteousness. We pray that you would continue as we know you will to forgive our sins. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to draw us closer to you, that we would not only know about you, but we would know you and be in a relationship with you. You have called us, just like you called the disciples to be with you, you have called us to be with you. And we just pray that we would, we would truly be those people. Thank you. We love you. And we thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen.